Okay, I'm going to jump right in because I ain't got a lot of time, but I got a lot to say in Jesus' name. Uh, so we have been reading through the book of Ephesians, and we are on Ephesians chapter 3. And I wanted to go verse 14 to 21, uh, but uh, verses 14 to 19 is another one of those things I've talked about a few times earlier in the series. Shout out to the podcast if you haven't heard earlier in the series. Um, earlier in the series, and that is this. Uh, there are eight what they're called grand sentences in the book of Ephesians. Eight times in the book of Ephesians, Paul does something he doesn't typically do in his other gospels. And that is he does insane run-on sentences. Uh, Paul seems like he can't move on from certain thoughts, so he sticks to them. And every time we've hit in one of those run-on sentences, we've always paused and spent the whole week focusing on that one run-on sentence. And so actually verses 14 to 19 is another one of Paul's famous run-on sentences, uh, right? And so that means that I'll only leave us two verses for next week to cover, which is great because I learned a theology fact that I had never heard before. Uh, verses 20 and 21, which is next week, they call it one of Paul's grand um, doxologies. Apparently, Paul is pretty famous for sneaking in worship songs uh, while he's writing his epistles, and I didn't know that. So actually, verse 20 and 21 is one of Paul's doxologies where he's actually worshiping God and singing a song. And so we're going to pause and go over that next week. So we'll be dealing with worship. Amen. Now, if you've also been listening to the podcast, when Pastor Thomas two weeks ago embarked on the first half of chapter three, he pointed out that this whole chapter or the first half of the chapter is a tangent. And so I want to show you the tangent now that we're here because Paul ended his tangent last week and he's back on, 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 on mission again, starting in this verse. So if we go to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see something. And it says, for this reason, I, Paul, right? So for this reason, for what reason? Chapter 2, right? The unity of the church, right? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. See that? Go back. See that little hyphen? That is the English translators being nice to you. They're letting you know Paul just went buck wild. Paul just went rogue. Have you ever been in a church and the pastor went off his notes? Paul just went off the notes. What just happened? Yeah, yeah, I have been. I've been to that church. It's called Boulevard. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, Paul just went rogue in the dash. He, he lost focus on what he was talking about and began to explain something. And then verse 2 is Paul explaining it. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And instead of going back to what he was going to say, he kept explaining that. And so Pastor Thomas spent two weeks breaking down a tangent. And if we go back to verse 1, see how it says, for this reason I, Paul. Now let's jump to the verse we're starting in, which is verse 14. Right? Beautiful. For this reason I right? It's the same Greek phrase. So literally what happened was Paul's like, for this reason, I, well, assuming, and then he goes off and then he's like, hey, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. So for this reason, <laughs> right? And so if you actually look at the way that the book was written, uh, this section, it, it doesn't fit the main theme Paul's teaching. So Paul went off on an awesome little tangent that I think is beautiful and it is wonderful. And don't worry, all of you people who are all about the history, if you go back to even the oldest versions of Ephesians, that little tangent's always there. That is, that is just Paul being Paul. It's fantastic. He's a man of God. And uh, I, I've met many men of God in my life and none of them know how to stay on topic. So I'm believing it's just how the spirit moves and how the spirit guides. Uh, but Paul is jumping back. And now in verse 14, he is continuing chapter 2. Right? So, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father 
Can I get an amen? amen. Keep moving. The little, okay, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Apparently Deacon Chad is not allowed to take vacations anymore. Uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. That's a really cool sentence. Uh, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Oh, dear Lord in heaven, help me preach. God, I pray that the words today would minister. Uh, God, teach us how to pray. Teach us the power of prayer, the importance of it. In Jesus' name I say, amen. Uh, I want to say uh, very clearly and very upfront. Uh, that's the reason why we titled today's sermon, The Power of Prayer, is because I believe that Paul is teaching the Ephesus church what the power of prayer is right here in this moment. Um, Paul is a confident prayer warrior, and he actually a little bit through this section teaches us why he's so confident. And then after that, he shows you what he's praying. And so we're going to focus in on those two things. Um, I firmly believe uh, that the enemy, and I do, you know me, how I am with spiritual warfare, that I don't think it's as crazy as some people make it out to be. I don't think the enemy is half as powerful as oh, the world that tries to make him out to be, or honestly, as Christians try to make him out to be. Because, uh, you know, what am I going to do if I can't have my ministry about casting out demons? i got to keep Christians scared because if they know their power, they won't need me. They won't pay for me to show up anymore. All right, and I think there's actually a lot to that. My tent revivals aren't as effective anymore if, if you realize that anything that any man of God has ever done to cast a demon out of someone, we all have that same power nestled within us. Casting out demons is not one of the gifts of the Spirit. It is not. It is not something that people are inclined to. It is something that we as Christians have authority over. We deal with defeated foes. And when the enemy tries to come up against us, we are dealing with a defeated foe. And all he can do is yap like a chihuahua. Right, Growing up as a kid, my dad and stepmom and my siblings, they had a chihuahua. That thing was all talk, and then I showed up. The first time I ever met that puppy, they're like, oh, we got a new puppy. I can't wait for you to meet it. So I walk into the house, and the puppy sees me, runs at me as, really quietly, dips into the bush that's right next to the house, you know, and then starts barking like crazy in the bush. That's Satan. <laughs> And if you give him focus, he sounds pretty scary, right? And again, I'm not saying he has no authority. I'm saying he has no authority over you. I'm not saying he is not at work in this world. I'm saying he's not at work in your life. I'm saying that the only time he can gain any ground in your life is ground that you have freely given him because he has no right to take ground. Remember, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And as I keep reminding you, a lot of us quote that verse. We say the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. And we try to think of the gates of hell. And it's like, and like, like the gates are attacking Christians and it can't prevail against us. But gates don't attack, they defend. Right? It's saying that hell can't defend against the church because the church isn't a defensive entity. We are an, we are an offensive entity. 
right? And that is how we operate, and that is how we do, because we have a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is in control. And so we don't worry about the things and how they're going, and if our favorite politician is winning and losing, and, you know, even though America doesn't seem to be in the book of Revelation, whatever, what's happening in America is going to dictate what's happening in Revelation. And we're always worried, and there's always a new terrible thing, and it's a barcode, and it's a vaccine, and it's a, whatever it is, but it's fear every time. Right. And to be clear, I do tend to lean towards there being a rapture. I do tend to believe uh, in all those things. Not the point of the sermon today, but what I mean is we use these doctrines to be fearful when they were meant to show us victory. Right. And I think that the enemy tries desperately to convince you that your prayer isn't powerful. Because if you began to pray, you would learn a quick lesson and that he is not powerful. William Cooper, who we're going to talk about twice today, he has a really famous quote, and I brought it for you. And it says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. Leave that up. I love that quote because Satan's fear, Satan is afraid not because of who I am, right, but because of whose I am, right? And that, that's, a, that's a very important distinction because it's not that you're bad to the bone, right? It's that, it's that God is, <laughs> you know? He actually is a fearful foe. Like, you know, if we read Genesis from, if we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God can be terrifying. And yet we see that children will walk up into his arms and be held by him. Right? We see that, that God is going to fill the ravines with blood because he is powerful. And yet the Bible says that when we pray, he leans in and listens. What is man that you are mindful of him? That great mystery that David writes that is echoed in Hebrews. Right? Like, it doesn't make sense that we get all of this because we did nothing for it. And yet we do freely because he loves you. He loves you whether you want to be loved or not. <laughs> you know, which shout out to that because I wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. You know, we always say that. I always make the joke. When I first met my wife, she would always say, God is a gentleman. And then I was like, I don't know. I, I, it's never been very gentlemanly. I was brought into the kingdom kicking and screaming. And if it was not for that, I would not be standing here today. God is powerful, and he found me. I thought we were talking about prayer. Why are you talking about God's power? God's, our prayer is predicated on God's power. If you are praying to a powerful God, then nothing can stop what he will do in response to your prayer. But we secretly believe that God is weak. And I say secretly because when you pray, you wonder if he'll answer. Now, see, we have to know two things about God. And, God's, and Paul is going to teach us these two things. Thing one, God is powerful. Thing two, God loves you. And if you believe both of those things in tandem, your prayers will be terrifying to the enemy. Really cool to the saints. Hallelujah. Another quote, uh, a really famous guy who history is trying to, I feel like modern historians are trying to make him look bad. Makes me mad because I feel like he's a great man. Uh, no one's perfect, uh, but it seems historically he is a great man. So I'm going to read you a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And he says, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Um, that's powerful. A man who changed the nation changed it through prayer and he had to make actions in response to prayer but i love that, that there's a conviction that he has nowhere else to go and i think christians we need to have that saying i love that word that he says conviction the conviction that i have nowhere else to go 
And so if we look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, which honestly is where I'm going to spend most of my time today, and then we're going to run through the rest of the verses. Uh, and I love this. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. We go to verse 15, too, because they're kind of together. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Go back. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That is Paul introducing his prayer. He's not praying yet. But that introduction teaches us something pivotal about pivotal about prayer. Go back to 14, because I think you can see it clearest there. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And leave that up. I'm going to take a drink, and we're going to go. I'm believing I'm going to do this in 10 minutes, but you all know I won't. Okay? Pray. God will answer your prayers. Um, there are three things I want to take out of this, two things that are apparent. Uh, first is you see that Paul is bowing, right? But you see he uses the term father. Now, here's the distinction. The Bible shows us that Paul is making it clear that his posture is to bow his knees. This is submission. This is reverence. This is awe. This is fear of the Lord. This is an understanding of his power. We bow, and we bow our knees only to those who are greater than us. And do not have this mixed up. Yes, you are part of the family. Yes, you are a friend. Yes, you are near to God and he has filled you up. Yes, you are welcome in his kingdom. And yes, you are invited to the wedding. Yes, you are the bride of Christ. No, you are not equal to God. God alone is who every knee will bow. And Paul is bowing. Because here it says, it shows us a total act of submission. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this also very well. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Leave that up. I love it. Humble and then mighty hand of God. I've noticed in my personal life that I go through seasons where I'm extra focused on how strong God is, and I go through seasons where I'm extra focused on how loving he is, how graceful he is. And I find it is very rare that I'm able to balance both of those well. But a healthy prayer life requires a healthy fear, but a healthy understanding that you are accepted and you are loved and you are not earning it. You have it. To find that balance can be difficult in a world that has chosen sides, right? You go to those guys who teach love, 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 and then you listen to their, their worship music that they write, and you listen to their sermons, and you're like, you, you, you glanced at the Bible like twice, and you wrote this sermon, right? <laughs> but then you go into those, those, those churches where it's like, and you hear the sermons from people who know their Bible really well, and there's no gifts, and God's not moving, but dear Lord, he's in charge. And, and you sit, and you listen, and it's like, you feel like God's mad at you when you leave. And it's because it's hard to find that balance. It's hard to say God wants to hold me and then also read Isaiah, look at God and say, I am ruined. Right? But yet, that is the balance. Because Paul says he is praying to the Father. 
And what I love about that aspect, the next thing he says is that according to the riches of his glory, no, he says from every family in heaven and on earth is named. Uh, God is the prototype of all fatherhood, right? Fatherhood is an aspect creation has taken in response to its creator. Here's why that's important. Because your father was an imperfect reflection of the father. And you cannot come to the father as you came to your father. Does that make sense? Even if you had a great father, which is helpful, it makes going to God easier. And by the way, fathers, you have this holy calling because for much of your children's life, they will treat God like you treated them. And that is terrifying. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you, which in all God's people said. Uh, Seek and you will find, and all God's people said. Knock and it will be open to you, and all God's people said. (laughs) Right? For everyone who asks, receives. Do you believe that? Okay. And everyone who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent, which is insane. If you then, who are evil, he's saying, don't you want to care for your children? Yeah, you do, huh? You're evil. What? Right? Uh, Know how, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So again, even Jesus when teaching us about how the father loves us, he even teaches the example of an earthly father is lacking. Right? So we have to take a step back and see him for who he is. Everything that you believe your father should be, he is. He is a nurturer. He is a provider. He cares. No, he's not looking sternly at you. No, every time you mess up, it is not grounds for a weapon. Though, you know, sometimes he throws them. The Bible says so. Um, but you're not, you're not this thing that God is looking down on and is angry at. See, the Bible actually says that it pleased the Father to crush the Son. It says that the wrath of God was taken out in fullness on the cross. God has no more wrath towards us. His experience towards humanity is just that of a loving Father. Again, I thought we were talking about prayer. Paul is talking about prayer, too. He is teaching the church. He's saying, I'm bowing a knee in submission to the Father that is above all fathers. He is showing reverence and love. He is showing power and intimacy. He is showing holiness and family. And he's showing that they do not contradict. True prayer is when reverent people speak to a loving and powerful God. I'm going to read that one more time because I wrote that and I felt like it was a good one. True prayer is when reverent people speak with a loving and powerful God. If you lose sight, that God is loving and you just believe that he is powerful, it'll create fearful prayers, which the wrong kind of fear. It'll create prayer where you wonder if God will answer. You, you pray and you, you almost say, and God, if you're okay with it. That's not how God wants us to interact with him. But on the flip side, if you know he's powerful but not loving, I forget what I said first. Awesome. Brain fart. If you know that he is loving, 
but you don't believe that he's powerful. That's why we pray weak prayers. And then we get up, and then we have to go do something about it. Right? It's, it's why, you know, you see that kind of moment where God says to Abraham, shout out to Wednesday. God says to Abraham, hey, you're going to have a, a child in less than a year. And, and him and his wife laugh because it, it's almost like, is God not powerful enough? And so they had to take matters into their own hands, and, and he slept with his wife's servant. Essentially cheated on his wife just with her approval, something that is not pleasing to God. To make an heir that God had promised because his promise wasn't enough. They had to do something because God was loving, but he wasn't powerful. And God had a beautiful plan, but he wasn't strong enough to make it happen. I had to do something. And know that that is not what prayer is. You see, Paul, from 16 to 19, Paul is reverent and aware of God's greatness. This leads to powerful prayers. Paul was confident in his prayers because he was confident in his God. And so kind of, I had more to say about the sermon supposed to be over now. So um, I'm going to say, I'll end it on this verse as the band comes up. Um, James 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, what we're actually going to focus on, uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that your prayers have great power? I love the King James or the New King James or whatever. It says uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's when kind of my go-to translation of that because I find that it's better with the Greek in my, my study with it. Um, but what I love that is righteousness. Uh, so uh, we can put that verse back up. Uh, righteousness, uh, 516. Um, it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. The Bible says that you are the righteousness of Christ. You're the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So righteousness is not a how have you acted last week. Righteousness is are you a child of God? And if the answer is yes, amen. Then we can go to the next step, which says the righteous person has great power. Power, right? The prayer is powerful because I am righteous. It is all about Jesus. And lastly is working. My prayers work because I am in right standing with God. You have to realize prayer the only thing it has to do with you is you're the one speaking the words and it's your heart. You're, you're going to God. The power behind it has nothing to do with you. And I actually wrote this. Every prayer we pray in Christ is immediately powerful. Have confidence that when you pray, God listens. He is a good father and he is powerful enough to make all things come, come to pass. And I wrote this in bold letters. Be confident in the Lord. Now, people will often ask the question, teach me how to pray, or how do you pray? There's no right or wrong way to pray. There's just a right or wrong heart in prayer. Is God loving, and is he powerful? Yes, then pray. Right? How do you pray? You, you say what's on your heart. What if what's on my heart is wrong? God will teach you. He'll walk with you. I've prayed many prayers in my life that looking back, I am so glad God didn't answer them. Well, that's not true. He did answer them. He just didn't answer them the way I wanted him to. But that's just because he's loving. And I never got in trouble for those things. I actually learned about myself through those things. God was never mad at me for coming at him with wrong understanding or maybe even selfishness. 
Now, he did use that to teach me humility and self-sacrifice. But my prayer never lost its power. The enemy was never a part of my prayer to God. The cares of this world were never a part of my prayer to God. When you come before God and you feel like, man, I just feel like this prayer is not doing anything. It's like, it's fine. It's not the prayer that's doing something. It's the God who's listening. It's not about how powerful you felt during the pride. I just didn't feel the anointing while I was praying. Prayer's not about your power. It's not about your anointing. When you lay hands and you pray healing on someone, you might be gifted, but the Bible says all gifts come from the Holy Spirit. It's God's gift working through you. And so when I lay hands and pray for someone, God's going to move or he's not, but it's all about him. Right? And he might use the moment to teach one thing or another, but it's all about him. It's not me. I'm not earning something through prayer. Prayer isn't a place to strive. It's a place to lay in the lap of the God who loves you. It's the place to whisper your cares and your struggles and your worries and your fears and the things you're hoping for and the dreams, the dreams that you're dreaming. It's a place to do that. And again, I'm not promising you that God will answer your prayers exactly like you want, just like Paul wasn't doing that either. But again, I promise you that prayer will do something. Because prayer is powerful. Whether God uses that prayer to teach me a lesson <laughs> or he uses that prayer to show me how powerful he is or he uses that prayer to unite people as he says in the Old Testament, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then they will hear from heaven. That even prayer was a place to draw the people of God together. There was a purpose, but again, it wasn't about me and my power. It was about God. And I think that if you look at what Paul prayed, though, and this is actually how I want to end, uh, two, two, I have two closures for you. Uh, the first, uh, William Cooper, who said Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saints upon their knees. Uh, he, he wrote the famous, uh, have you heard that, have you ever heard someone say God moves in mysterious ways? William Cooper wrote that. Um, he's just an old, old pastor. And I mean old. He had a small church. It was very well unknown. But like, but when they, he dies and later on people look at his writings, they see how profound he was. And he wrote this. He says, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing sky of skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bed may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he makes his will plain. And again, this final thing I want to say, the first part again, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Just as this guy begins to talk about everything that God's going to do in his church, he opens with, isn't God great? And so Paul why do you think we lift our hands in worship? Because it's a cultural thing. It's to remind us, this action, I am surrendered, God. Why do you think when people begin to pray, sometimes they get on their knees, right? You hear all the cracking? Awesome. It's from skating um, all, all these years. Um, he gets on his knees. It's because it's, it's a reminder. It's a posture of reverence. And I think... We prefer to sit and look at our hands during worship sometimes or during prayer. 
But I think there's something powerful about taking a reminding posture. That I'm not just praying to Daddy God. I am praying to a mighty warrior who is going to move. It does help that that mighty warrior is Daddy God. Abba, Father. We should sing. I'm just kidding. Um, But then also, sometimes during worship, people begin to jump and shout. Why? Because there's confidence. That God is so good, he's going to answer this. Listen to me. I got in trouble for this a few years ago, so I thought I'd bring it back. Pray, uh, worship isn't warfare. Worship is a response to victory. Right? In the Old Testament, they would worship before a battle. And that worship was, thank you, God, because we won. And then they'd go win. Right? <laughs> and I think the same way for us, this prayer, this worship, we're not striving. We are talking to the all powerful God. And what I love is Paul says, he bows a knee. He says, I am, I am taking this posture under a mighty God. And then he goes, and he is the father that every household on earth and in heaven is named by. He is the father. He is loving. And what does Paul do? Does he pray for himself? No. He immediately begins to pray for the Ephesus church. So he's teaching them, I'm bowed to God and he loves me. So he'll bless you. Because I'm praying for you. That's why we pray with each other. That's why we pray for each other. And like Paul prayed, I think we should pray with one another. See, if eight people are in a circle and each one of us begin to pray for ourselves, we each got prayed for once. But if everyone decides not to pray for themselves and pray for one another, everyone got prayed for seven times. Right? So today, pray for one another. No, we're not going to call up leaders because you all have this Holy Spirit. Just go to someone. Just look at them and be as brave as you're willing to be, but open up. And hey, this isn't your time to counsel someone. Pray for them. Because what I want you guys to see today is that God answers prayers. What I want you guys to see today is we're going to lay hands and we're going to pray. You know what? Me and Kevin, this is a while ago. I'm going to, Kevin called me. His uncle was missing. He called me, and he was freaking out. This was a long time ago. And, and, and I said to Kevin, do you believe God answers prayers? And Kevin said, yes, but I'm struggling right now because he has dementia. Uh, I think it was Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Something. Something made him forget. They couldn't find him. He was wandering. And so I said, do you believe? And he said, I'm, honestly, I'm struggling. And I said, well, I'm not. Let me pray for you. We pray for Kevin. He hangs up the phone and calls me like an hour later like they found him. And it was just like, it was like such a small thing of like, how did we find him? Like, the story of how they found him was actually pretty cool, right? And it's just like, it was just something small. And the reason why I use that story, just no offense on Kevin, is because in that moment, he was exhibiting a lack of faith. And yet God answered anyway, because it wasn't about his faith, it was about his heart. And it wasn't about his faith, it was about who he was talking to. And sure, maybe in the moment I had to have the faith for the both of us, but even if I said, you know, I don't know if you'll find him either, let's just pray, God still would have moved because it wasn't about us. It was about who was listening. The Bible says the Holy Spirit cries out for you in ways that utter that you know not what to utter. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Believe me, whether you pray or not, there is prayer happening for you. But we might as well engage. 
because you'll see things you didn't know to see. You'll, you'll get connected in ways you didn't know to be connected. You'll, you'll begin to see God move in ways you didn't know that God could move. I, I'm not a big fan of, of some of the teaching that comes out of Bethel Church, but something that Bill Johnson said that I really like is he said, pray big prayers that seem impossible, middle prayers that seem like God might answer them, and little prayers that you know for sure will get answered because that way you're always getting built in confidence that God answers prayers. I think many of you in this room, the enemy has convinced you to stop praying. I think you stopped crying out for the things on your heart. I believe there are people in this room today that have actually given up on praying for certain things and because you feel you don't deserve it, you feel like you're not worthy, for whatever reason, whatever purpose, maybe you're just worn out, maybe you're just tired, God is telling some of you to wake back up in the middle of the night again like you used to and get back on your knees like you used to. God is telling you to set your alarm an hour early like you used to before you decided you could use more sleep and actually use that hour to seek his face and watch as he answers prayers that you thought were impossible to answer and watch as he meets you in supernatural ways in the face of physical things that didn't make sense um dear lord in heaven i pray for every person on the sound of my voice i thank you because you're good I thank you because you're just. I thank you because you hear our prayers. God, I thank you that the enemy is fearful of my prayers, not because of me, but because of you. I thank you, God, that when I pray, things happen. I thank you God, that you love me enough to incline an ear and listen. I thank you, God, that all of us, we have not wandered, we are not far, but your ear is here. Your face, your countenance is positively towards us, God. And God, I pray that in this room today, people would get set free. Free of the fear that you won't answer a prayer. Fear of the belief that they have to earn something. Or once I get this right in my life, then I'll go back to God. I think some of you don't realize that, that in the face of your sin, you don't have to wait a period of time before going to God. Immediately in the face of a failure, you can go right to your knees and God is already there. With stained hands, you could still pray. Because it's about his pierced hands. Amen. If you